Let's stand together for the reading of a couple of scriptures. Thank you, Amber. Wish I could sing like that. I'll never sing like that. Amen. How many of you have ever failed? Anybody in here that's never failed? I see that hand. I want you to come down. You're deluded. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, I want to start a series today that I'm calling Wood for the Fire. I believe it's God's will that his people burn. Jesus said, I wish that you were hot or cold, but since you're lukewarm, I want to spew you out of my mouth. That's putting it nice. The word is vomit. I want to vomit you out of my mouth if you're lukewarm. He wants us red hot. I sure don't want to be cold. And there are certain things that put out the fire that mess with the fire, the zeal of our hearts. And the, the zeal that used to be a 10 we wake up one day and it's a two or a three and uh, the bright flame is just a kind of a flickering ember. And I want to just share some messages in the last, uh, next few weeks that are wood for the fire, wood to stoke the flame. And today I'm going to talk to you about failure because nothing can put out that fire like personal failure. I'm going to talk about don't let failure stop you. So let me just read Philippians 3, 13 to 15. Here's Paul the Apostle talking. He says, No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. Now notice, he said, My focus is on one thing. So read the next with me. Forgetting the past. Can we say those next last three words again? Forgetting the past. Now, and looking forward to what lies ahead. Now I'm going to tell you before we finish this, there's two kinds of people on earth those that wake up and look back to the past and those that wake up and look forward to the future. Now, I, want to con I just want to just posit today that God wants us waking up looking forward to the future. Now, let's read the rest. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. And then he finishes, let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you're spiritually mature, you ought to have the attitude of forgetting what's behind you and looking forward to what's ahead of you, not camping in the past, but reaching for the future that God has for you. That's the will of God. If you're mature, that's the way you view life. Now, Lord, thank you right now for your blessing on the Word. And I pray that the shackles of failure will be broken off the people. That, Lord, we will not live in the past because of failure, because of, of the ghost of regret, but you will release us to reach forward into what God has for our future, which we know is bright. In Jesus' mighty name, will you breathe a prayer and say, Lord, deliver me from anything in my past that is holding me back. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, press on. Labor Day weekend, here we are, and I think summer is taking its last stand. Amen? It's one of those days, yesterday, you could fry an egg on the cement. Well, failure, we've all been there. It's one of the great causes, failure, for people walking away from God. Not just being discouraged, but failure actually having the power to drive you away from God. 
The devil uses our failures as a club of condemnation to beat us over the head, telling us constantly, you this, you that, you went here, you went there, you did this, you did that. Who are you to go to church, to serve God, to pray, to read the Word? And God forbid that you would minister because you have failed. Did you know the Bible is filled with people who have failed God? And they are some of the brightest names in the entire Word of God. Let me give you some examples about people who failed in the Bible. And, and I'm so thankful that the Bible tells me the truth about those in it. it. tells me the truth about the great stars in the firmament of God's Word. Some of the great names. Uh, tells us how they fell, how they failed, how they handled it, rightly or wrongly. Take Abraham, for instance, the father of our faith, one of the best-known names in the entire Word of God. But Abraham abysmally failed God on many different occasions. He failed the Lord when he stepped out in unbelief and sired a child out of God's will. He decided that God wasn't in charge and God needed help, and so he decided to give him help. His failure brought division to his home, heartache to the other woman, Hagar, and rejection to their son Ishmael, but it went way beyond that. See, we today are being reached and affected and influenced by Abraham's failure. Abraham's failure unleashed upon the world to this day the most bitter rivalry in history, and that is the rivalry between the Jews and the Arabs because the Arabs are the offspring of Ishmael, the child God or Abraham sired out of God's will. And right now, we are feeling the impact. As a matter of fact, I'm going to leave today and read news about what's going on in the Middle East in the never-ending conflict between the Arabs and the Jews. And that can be traced all the way back to Abraham's household and Abraham's failure. Yeah, let me tell you that Abraham went on to produce a son by faith according to God's promise. And he today is the father of our faith and one of the great names of history. Listen carefully. Failure is neither fatal nor final unless you quit. Failure doesn't have to take you down. And Abraham basically had the attitude, yes, I failed. Yes, I messed up. Lied about my wife sired a child out of the will of God, all these things, but I believe that my God is a God of destiny and my failure was not fatal and it was not final because I am not going to quit. And he stepped into the history books by believing that about God. And then there was Moses. You know the name Moses. He failed by murdering a man in cold blood. Moses knew that he was called by God to deliver Israel out from Egyptian bondage. And when he was still a young man, he had a grip on what God wanted to do with him. One day he happened upon an Egyptian beating a Hebrew slave, beating him up. And Moses said, that's it. I'm called to deliver the children of Israel. I'm not going to watch this happen. He stepped in, he grabbed that Egyptian and murdered him and then realized that he had committed a crime in the land of Egypt. He fled. He spent 40 years on the backside of a lonely desert as a fugitive from justice. Moses, the lawgiver, Moses, who, whose face one day glowed in the dark from the glory of God, for 40 years fled as a fugitive because he murdered. But he ultimately stepped out of 
his exile of failure and into the history books as the great lawgiver and Hebrew emancipator because he refused to believe that his failure was final or fatal. And I got to think of Samson. Oh, Samson had his problems. The he-man with the she-weakness. God had anointed him to deliver Israel from the Philistine bondage. And he had supernatural strength. He did things normal people do not do. He killed a lion with his bare hands. He picked up objects that were way beyond the capacity of a man to pick up. He was anointed by God with supernatural strength, but he gave in to the wrong kind of woman. And one day, he foolishly gave away the secret of his strength to the seductress Delilah. And as a result, the Philistines fell upon him, gouged his eyes out, put him into forced servitude, walking in vain circles, grinding out the corn for the Philistine people just walking blind, walking in circles blind, day after day, mocked and ridiculed by the Philistines. And anybody watching Samson would have said his failure was fatal and his failure was final. But something began to happen to him as his hair began to grow back. So did his faith. And one day he prayed a prayer and he said, Oh God, anoint me one more time that I might avenge my eyes. And he put his hands in between two pillars while the Philistines were in a great coliseum. And with that supernatural strength, I'm not talking about Hercules who was a myth. I'm talking about Samson who was a real man anointed by God's Spirit. He pushed those pillars until they fell and he killed more Philistines in his death than he did in his life because he didn't believe his failure was fatal or final. And your, yours is not either. And of course, there was David. Oh, David. I read what David did. Failed God by committing adultery, but then he went way beyond that. And he subsequently murdered, had murder in a diabolical way, the husband of his mistress, Bathsheba. He committed a terrible crime. His failure, according to the Bible, brought great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme God and covered his life in shame and misery. David, the man after God's own heart, David, the sweet psalmist of Israel, failed God. Yet David returned to the Lord. He confessed his sin. He said, I have sinned, and against you only, Lord, have I sinned. And God restored him, and he went on to establish Israel as the greatest nation on the face of the earth. And when we think of David today, we don't think of David the failure. We think of David the man after God's own heart. Why? Because he did not let failure stop him. And who can forget Simon Peter? Oh, did he fail. He said, Lord, every, though everybody else, though all these other guys deny you, I will never deny you. I'm your guy. I'm your man. And Jesus looked at him and knew him better than he knew himself, just like he knows us way better than we know us. And he said, Simon, Simon, I'm telling you, you're going to deny me before the rooster crows. You're going to deny me three times. And exactly as Jesus said he did, he denied him once. He denied him twice. And then when he denied him thrice, he did it with cursings. He literally cursed, saying vehemently and adamantly, I've never even known him. And right then, Jesus was walked by in Pilate's judgment hall and locked eyes with Peter at that third denial and the rooster crowed. And I said, Lord, never let me see that look. 
Don't you know that look melted him? And the Bible says Peter ran from Pilate's judgment hall in shame and that he wept bitterly. But the Bible tells us good news about Peter. Many would have looked and said, you just ruined your call. You just messed up your destiny. You denied him. He's never going to come to you again. He's never going to use you. You're done for. You're washed up. You might as well forget it and put up the white flag. But Peter was approached by Jesus on the shores of Galilee again, and Jesus restored him, and he went on to become one of the mightiest of the apostles, the first man to preach the gospel, and he died a bold martyr for the Lord. His failure was not fatal nor final because he allowed God to restore him and did not quit. I hope today I can preach out of you the voice of failure that is telling you because you did what you did, because you fell like you fell, because you failed like you failed, there's no hope for you. That's a lie from hell. There is hope for you in God who restores. And I got to think of Saul, Saul, who became Paul the Apostle. Gave us Galatians, Philippians, Colossians, Ephesians, Romans, two-thirds of the New Testament, this mighty man. But when he was Saul, oh, he failed God. Believing that he was doing God justice and doing the will of God, he failed. As a young, zealous Pharisee, Saul made havoc of the church. The Bible says there was one name the early church feared, and it was the name of Saul. In his own words, in a powerful confession of his failure, in Acts 26, 10 through 11, listen to what he says he did. He, he's just telling the truth about his past. He says, many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests, and when they were put to death. Did you hear that? When they were put to death. And who put them to death? Saul did. Paul, the one who said love one another. The one who told us to love one another as Jesus loved us. Saul when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. In other words, I amend it when they were put to death. The saints of God. He goes on. I gave my voice against them, and I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme God. Saul literally took these people like they did in the Inquisition. He took the early Christians, and, and he arrested them, and then he said, Recant, Jesus, or I will kill you. Renounce him. No longer cleave to him. That was Saul who became Paul. And being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even unto strange cities. In other words, I was relentless in my pursuit of the Christians. I was there to take them out. I intended to ruin the church and shut down this religion called Christianity before it really grew legs and ran. It was this same man who wrote the words we read at the start. I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past. Do you know how much he had to believe in the blood of Jesus to write those words? Do you know how much he had to know what the blood of Jesus did for you and me? That when Jesus died on that cross, he stretched out his arms and his legs. They hammered with nails, his hands and feet to the cross, and that innocent blood ran down that old wooden cross. Do you know what Paul is seeing here? That that blood was so powerful, so strong, so consummately capable of wiping away our sin that he could literally say, I can forget the past. Amen. 
Yes, I killed Christians. Yes, I persecuted them. But my Lord Jesus died for me, and that blood is totally effective in wiping away all my sin so that I can focus on the future because he handled my past. All of these and many, many more in the Bible fail, but they recovered from their failures. Now, let me tell you something. We're all going to fail God or ourselves, or others, or probably all three somewhere along the way, here's the million-dollar question. Will your failure make you, or will it break you? Will it be your tombstone where they just put a gravestone there and write your epitaph? They were going great till they failed, then they gave up, and this was the end of their spiritual life and their ministry. Will it be your tombstone or your stepping stone? Will your failure bury you in a grave of regret? Or is it going to ignite you to come back stronger than ever? See, it's not so much what you did as what you do now. Is your failure forever going to act as the extinguisher of your spiritual fire? Or is it going to cause you to burn again with greater intensity once you have experienced the great forgiveness of God? What you do with your failure is going to make all the difference in your future. Tell me what you're going to do with your failure, and I'll tell you where you're going to be five years from now. Now, I want to share with you today some keys to responding to your failure. It matters. Response is everything in life. It's not what comes your way. It's how you respond to what comes your way, even your own failures. So let me just share with you some keys to getting over the failure and moving on with God because everyone in here has failed. And I I, I came today to preach the voice of failure out of you because the voice of failure is a liar and God wants you going on. The first thing you've got to do, if you're really going to go on in God, press on. You've got to face your failure. You've got to face it. Face your failure. Here's a fact. We, we cannot forget what lies behind us until we have faced the failure that is in front of us. Let me put it another way. To forget it, like Paul said, you've got to first face it. If you don't face it and come clean with it and admit it and take it where it needs to go, the cross of Christ, then you will never be able to reach forward and lay hold of what God's got for you because you're always living back there and the ghosts of your failure are hounding you and haunting you everywhere you go. John wrote, if we confess our sins, that means come clean. Yeah, David David terribly failed God, but in the Psalms he said, I have sinned, Lord, and against you only have I sinned and done this great evil in your sight. He faced his failure, and he took it to God. You know, let me tell you something, folks. When it comes to a failure, you can live with guilt. You can try to hide it. You can try to sweep it under the carpet. You can deny it. You can try to rationalize it away or drink it away, or snort it away, or do something to try to push down the voice of that failure. But the only place to really take it is the cross of Jesus. That's where all of our failures are dealt with by God and really washed away. I've pastored a long time, and I'm going to tell you, I have seen that often the people of God 
don't face it. What they do is they run from God because they failed. They say, ah, you know, who am I to go to church? I'm going to run. Who am I to pray? I'm going to run. They leave church. I've seen it over and over. They leave church. They quit praying. They get out of the word. They turn to drinking. They turn to drugs. They turn to immorality. They go from one illicit relationship to another, from, from one sin to another, all in an attempt to run from their failure. But listen, you can't run from your failure because wherever you're running to, once you arrive, you're there. What are you doing here? You can't run from failure. Your failure will find you. It'll haunt you. It'll trail you. It'll stalk you. It'll track you. Some of the heroes of Scripture did the very same thing. They ran when they failed, and, and, and it didn't do any good. Moses ran from God in the wilderness, as we were just talking about. He ran. Here's what he said. Surely this thing is known. It's known what I did. It's known that I killed a man. In other words, everybody knows what I did. Every eye is looking at me. So he fled into the wilderness, and I don't believe it was God's will for him to be there for 40 years. For 40 long years, he lived as a fugitive because he would not face his failure. Jonah ran from the presence of the Lord. He got into a ship, and he found that he couldn't run from the presence of the Lord. It says he ran from the presence of the Lord, but the presence of the Lord is even more omnipresent than you are because he will follow you. And Jonah found out when you run from failure, you run from God's will. Even if you end up in the sea, God has a fish custom designed to swallow you whole. So do you really believe that, Pastor? Of course I believe it. God made the world. He can make a fish that can swallow me. And he got down in there with all that seaweed and all of that smell. And you talk about pitch black dark. There was not one sliver of light in that belly. And even at that, that stubborn prophet waited three days to repent before that fish spit him out. He's got more manhood than me. Man, I'd been down there five minutes. I repent, I repent, I repent. He found out you can't run. Peter ran from God following his denial of Jesus and tried returning to his old life of fishing. And Jesus found him on the shores of Galilee said, what have you caught? And they said, nothing. And that's exactly what you catch when you try to return to your old life once you've known Jesus. You catch nothing. There is nothing there. Those old friends don't know you anymore. That sin doesn't bless you anymore. You can't cross back over the Red Sea and go back into Egypt when God has delivered you. When he has taken you across the sea into the promised land, there's only one direction for a Christian to go, and that's forward. That's it. Even Adam hid from God when he failed God, bit into that fruit. The Bible says that God came looking for him and spoke some of the saddest words in Scripture that he still speaks today. He said, Adam, where are you? He's saying that to the whole human race today. Where are you? Where art thou? Lord, I'm hiding from you. The whole human race is hiding from God. Don't run away from God because you failed. 
face your failure. He's there with open arms. He's just waiting for confession and repentance, and he will forgive you and restore you back. C.H. Spurgeon wrote these words, it's the mark of a true saint that his sorrows remind him of his sins, and his sorrow for sin drives him to his God. There's an old saying that says, the same sun that melts butter hardens clay. Let's pretend the sun is failure. The red hot heat of failure, that, that heat melts some like butter, but others it hardens like clay. Some break towards God and melt towards God and say, God, forgive me, and it drives them to God. But others, it hardens their hearts like clay because they failed. Which are you? In Psalms 25, David has failed. And I want you to listen how he broke towards God. Verse 1, I lift up my soul to you, O Lord. O my God, I trust in you. Don't let me be ashamed. Verse 4, show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. Do you hear those requests? This is a man that has failed, but he is turning to God. He says, show me, teach me, lead me. I need you, Lord. I wait for you all day long, says the failed David. Verse 6, remember your loving pity and your loving kindness, O Lord, for you have been from old. Do not remember my sins from when I was young or my current sinful ways. Bring me out of my suffering. Look upon my troubles and my pain and forgive all my sins. The same son that melts butter like David, hardens clay. David was the butter. He broke towards God. How about you? Embrace God. Don't shun Him when you have failed. Run to Him. He wants to receive you, and He wants to forgive you. Now, the second thing I see is don't let failure... Oh, this is so important, church. Face your failure, but then don't let your failure define you. Now, listen carefully. This is so important. I got good news for you today. You are not what your failures say you are. Please hear me because there is a voice. Failure has a voice. And failure will talk to you. And failure will define you if you let it. Can I tell you that God does not review your past to decide your future? God does not say, well, there's, there's Joe and and and. and before I do anything with Joe, let me go back into the file cabinet of their past, back to the 90s, the 80s, the 70s. Let's see what they did back then. And based on what I find in the file of their past activities, that is what is going to define their future. No, when you are a child of God, there is no file cabinet. When you're a child of God, it has been washed away. When you're a child of God, you are clean as the driven snow. When you are a child of God, let Jesus define you, not your failures. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a called out people, the redeemed of the Lord. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Amen. When I first started in the ministry in the early 70s, I met a woman named Marjorie. Marjorie had been a hardcore alcoholic. She was much older than me, already had silver hair. I could give her a run for her money now. Marjorie had been a hardcore alcoholic, coming out of a rough life. Alcohol had taken everything from her. Her reputation, her money, her job, her family, 
her friends, her children. Alcohol had ruined her life. One day she walked into a Methodist church. Somebody invited her, I guess, I don't know, but she walked into a Methodist church, heard the gospel, and Marjorie got saved. I mean, she really got it. She got saved. She gave her heart to the Lord and said, you know, I have sinned and really repented, and Jesus came and filled her with his love, and she was really lifted up, and she swore off alcohol, and the pastor became very impressed with what God had done in her life, and one day he said, Marjorie, would you share your testimony tonight? You want me? You want me to share? You want me to be in the pulpit and share Jesus with these people? He said, I sure do. She said, oh, I'd be so honored. She floated out of church. She floated out of there thinking, look how far I've come. I'm about to give Jesus the glory. That day she went home and she started feeling stressed. She started feeling proud. I don't know how to speak. What am I going to say? She started getting nervous. She said, I'll have just one drink. And she told me this later. She went to a bottle of whiskey. She poured a little bit of whiskey, and she took it and said, just, just to calm my nerves, I'm not no further. But see, an alcoholic can't take just one drink. We're all alcoholics with something. You know that, right? We all have weaknesses, right? She took one drink, and then she took another, and then she took another. Before she knew it, she was stupefied, stinking, sodded, drunk, in her apartment, passed out on the couch, and she told me that she remembered hearing on her door. She said, I heard it. It sounded like it was 100 miles away. I got off the couch, fell on the floor, tried to stand up. I was too drunk to walk. I fell again. And then I remember hearing a voice. Marjorie, I don't condemn you. I don't condemn you. It's her pastor. She said, when I finally began to come out of that alcoholic stupor, it occurred to me what had happened. They had waited. They had sung. They had sung. They had sung till they were out of songs. No Marjorie. Finally, the pastor said something's wrong. He went to her apartment, knew what was going on, could hear the stumbling on the other side. And she said, his words haunted me. Marjorie, I don't condemn you. I don't condemn you. And she said, those words were the words of God to me. And she said, from that day forward, I never drank again. That was it. It was the words, I don't condemn you. But watch this. She said, when I woke up, the devil was there to define me. He was there to define me down. He was there to to say, you're just an old drunk. It's all you've ever been and all you'll ever be. Give up this nonsense about a ministry for girls, which she felt God had given her a vision for, and and you can't even make it to a speaking engagement, much less have a ministry to wayward girls. And there was her failure trying to define her. But then another voice defined her. I don't condemn you, Marjorie. I forgive you, Marjorie. You can rise above this, Marjorie. And she ultimately faced her failure, broke towards God, received her forgiveness, went on to build a home for wayward girls, and ministered to hundreds of girls through the years, helped them out of their trouble, and many are going to rise at the judgment and call her blessed because she knew my failure is not fatal or final because I serve a Redeemer who forgives and restores. What about you? 
Can you face your failure? Can you refuse to let it define you? Finally, the last thing I want to point out is keep on going. Isn't that a simple word? If you have failed, face your failure, refuse to let it define you, and then keep on going. The Word says forgetting what lies behind. Once you have faced it and it's under the blood, forgetting what lies behind. Don't pitch a tent in your past. Don't live looking in the rearview mirror. Let the past go and reach for what lies ahead and press on towards the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Listen, God, if God has washed away your sin, and He has, and you stand now clean as the driven snow, and you are, why should you not get back on the road and keep on going? There's souls to win. There's lives to live for the glory of God. There's prayers to pray. You may be bruised and battered, but keep on going. You may be limping, but keep on going. You may have suffered some loss, but listen, keep on going. What matters most is not what you did, but what you do now. Today is the day of salvation. Now Jesus forgives. Now the Holy Spirit is calling. Get up out of your failure. Get up out of the ashes of your past and keep on going. Keep on going. I see Jesus standing at the finish line. It's just clear in my eye. Keep on going, he says. The Bible says in Hebrews, a great cloud of witnesses are cheering from heaven's bleachers. Keep on going. Paul, the forgiven man who was forgiven of so much, is looking at us and saying, forget that past. Put it under the blood. Press on. Keep on going. Your greatest days are ahead. Your greatest days are not behind you. They are ahead. Don't let failure lie to you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And eye has not seen, nor ear heard, neither has it entered into the hearts of those who love the, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Keep on going. Can we stand up together today? How many of you can say, I needed this today? Now, listen, your greatest days are ahead. I'm going to tell you right now. God delights in restoring the fallen. And God will restore you. You're called to minister. You're called to share. You've got a destiny. Don't let a failure stop you. That's my wood for the fire today. So can we just lift our hands? If you have failed, lift your hands to the Lord. If failure has been running a number on you, I want you to lift your hands to Him. If that voice of condemnation and failure has been shooting you down, lift your hands and say this with me. Say, Lord Jesus, failure will not define me, but your word defines me. I am who you say I am. I ask you, Lord, to forgive me of anything that has separated me from you and my purpose in God. Now, Lord, I'm going to keep on going with joy in my heart, a skip in my step, a smile on my face as a truly forgiven person. 
Help me to finish my race in Jesus' name. Now, I want you to take a minute. Just forget about the people around you. I want you to talk to Jesus. I just want you to talk to Jesus for a minute and say, Lord, I give you all these things. Talk to him. He is right now in this place restoring some people to himself, to feeling a clear conscience, to deliverance from condemnation. Talk to him right now. forgiveness of the blood and thank you for Lord a fire that is raging in our heart no longer snuffed out by the voice of failure in Jesus mighty name give him a hand of praise today can you thank you Lord thank you Lord